Hello and welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. This week's Parsha is actually Parshat Bahalotra Neret Yisrael, for we read Parshat Naso this past Shabbat. However, in Chutzlar, it's mark the second day of Shavuot, so for the next few weeks, there will be a discrepancy between the Torah readings in Eret Yisrael and abroad. We will always send out the Parsha podcast based on the reading in Eret Yisrael, so that those abroad will always have a Parsha basically to listen to a week early. However, I don't want to miss Parsha Naso, the parsha that serves as a transition from the creation of a machane to the actual travelings of the machane. And what do we find in Parshat Naso? We hear about the counting of the Leviim, the Leviim who have not appeared in Sefer Vayikra, but because they represent the people of the Machane, the people of the encampment, they're going to be mentioned and counted in Sefer Bamidbar. So too, we hear of various laws that we would have expected to find in Sefer Vayikra, whether it's that the Zav, the Tsarua, the Tame Lanefesh, different people who are defiled, they leave not just the area of the Mikdash, but here in Sefer Bamidbar, we hear that they leave the area of the Machane. This is all to correct that there's Kedusha, that there's sanctity within the encampment of Am Yisrael. So too, the next law of Asham Gezelot, we heard about in Sefer Vayikra, but now we hear about it again by virtue of the fact that there is a certain novel detail, namely that if someone stole from a ger, from a convert who doesn't have any relatives, and in the interim, before he admitted his sin, the convert died, the stolen property goes to a Kohen. All of a sudden, we see that the Kohen is not merely a priest who lives in in his ivory tower of the Mishkan, but rather engages within the people, speaks and talks and engages with whether it be robbers or the next scene, an Isha Sota. And this is what we're going to focus on, on our Parsha, trying to understand the nature of the Isha Sota, who is somewhat promiscuous within the Machane. But in order for her to continue to live with her husband, we have to bring her to the Mikdash. And one would think that this should belong in Sefer Vayikra. But no, it belongs in Sefer Bamidbar because the whole goal of bringing her and having her engage in, with the Kohen is not about keeping her in the Mikdash. It's not about the Kohen again in his little bubble of sanctity. Rather, it's about engaging him with different people, even with promiscuous women that were told about in Sefer Vayikra, he has to stay away from. He can't marry a Zona, a Halala. Here, he is going to try to help inspire the Isha Sota so that she can return to the Machane. And that's why immediately juxtaposed afterwards is the law of Nazir, the possibility of a person becoming a Kohen, literally with a Nezer, with a crown of hair on his head, and like a Kohen, not becoming enumerated, and like a Kohen, staying away from a from anything that may defile him. All of these laws then we see are really focusing on sanctity, not of the Mikdash itself, but sanctity that infuses the entire Machane. So let us revisit particularly the story of the Isha Sota and note that within the text of the Pshat, the focus is not actually on the woman, but rather the Parshia begins with Ish Ish Kitiste Ishto. It begins with the Kin'ah, with feelings of jealousy that the husband has towards his wife, Umala Boma'al, but it could very well be that she has undermined basic trust, the basic fidelity that ties and bonds a marriage agreement together. And as such, he can bring her to to the Mishkan 
and thereby have her drink from the main marim ham arurim, the bitter waters that are going to test her. And Chazal even explained that these bitter waters are taken from the kior, are taken from the basin in the courtyard of the Mishkan that was constructed from the mirrors, the copper mirrors of the righteous women in Mitzrayim who went out of their way to positively seduce their husbands. And let these waters taken from the mirrors of the righteous women of Mitzrayim, explain Chazal, come and test these women who have not acted in such a righteous manner. At the same time, the Torah tells us that the man also plays a role here. Because if in fact the woman is absolved, then some type of sin, some type of transgression of the husband is also absolved. And as we look then at this miraculous phenomenon, we're supposed to try to understand and what's really going on within Parshat Sota, or what I like to call the Pshat, the Parsha of the Ish Mekaneh, the Parsha of the Knaot. It's really all about jealousies and lack of trust. The Ramban notes that the uniqueness of this examination of bringing a woman to the Mikdash in order for God to determine whether or not she's innocent or guilty is a procedure unlike any in the Torah. And behold, says the Ramban, nowhere in the laws of the Torah is there something that depends on a miracle, except for this manner, which is a fixed wonder and miracle that is performed for Yisrael. This law of Sota is so unique. Firstly, the miracles in the Torah are generally performed, as the Ramban says, for a great need, a public need, to verify the authenticity of a prophet, to bring salvation or punishment to a group or to an individual who is important to the group, but nowhere in the Torah are miracles performed for individuals in a family situation. Even says the Ramban, where we know that Yochavet gave birth to Moshe Rabbeinu at age 130, that is not going to be publicized because that's not an important miracle for Am Yisrael to know about on a national level. So he wonders, why do we have a fixed miracle that's performed for Yisrael? And secondly, the sphere in which the miracle takes place is also very strange because the question of whether a woman has betrayed her husband is one with halachic ramifications. If the woman really had indeed committed adultery and did so before witnesses with unnecessary circumstances, then she and the man involved must receive the death penalty. A woman who has betrayed her husband even in the absence of witnesses is forbidden to him thereafter and he must divorce her, but she is also then forbidden to the man with whom she committed adultery. And additionally, a woman who has committed adultery loses her right to the ketubah. So here we have a strange case of a woman who is suspected of committing adultery in circumstances that lend substance to this suspicion. So what should we do with such a woman? And isn't this a question that should be ruled in court? And yet we bring her instead to the mishkan. Our third problem here is a part of the ceremony that takes place when she's in the Mikdash. The Torah tells us that the Kohen is commanded to write down curses in a book and then erase them with the bitter water. And these words that have to be written down contain the name of Hashem. And in fact, the Mishnah Mesachat Sota Paragbet teaches us that that means that the name of Hashem is going to be erased in the bitter waters. But we know in Sefer Dvarim that there is a prohibition against erasing the name of Hashem. So the command to the Kohen to erase the curses that he has written, including God's name, actually contradicts a prohibition in the Torah.
And therefore, just to summarize our problems with the Sota case, we have number one, the very need for a fixed miracle in a private family manner. Number two, the sphere in which the miracle takes place, again, which is the clarification of a halachic matter that we would expect in a court of law, but there isn't sufficient evidence for, for the legal aspect. And number three, the way in which the miracle is performed basically through an act that is prohibited, namely the erasing of the name of Hashem. And each one of these elements certainly defines the uniqueness of the law of Isha Sota. And we're going to try to understand or explain each one of these queries. The Ramban addresses principally the first question that we presented concerning the very need for a miracle to decide a private or family question. According to his explanation, the point of the miracle is not to put at rest the mind of the husband who suspects his wife, nor any other limited family purpose, but rather a broad national one. He explains the point of this is to cleanse Yisrael from the suspicion of Mamzerut in order that they be worthy of the Shekhinah dwelling amongst them, in order to spread the name of Hashem, in order that the Machaneh maintain its Kedusha, we need a miracle in order to make sure that every family is a family that's built on trust and fidelity and when we need Hashem to get involved. When adultery therefore becomes widespread, we know during the time periods of the second Beit HaMikdash, then this merit of Am Yisrael was diminished and they were no longer worthy of having such a great miracle performed for them. But when Hashem says, Asuli Mikdash, I want to be in your midst, Vishachanti Bitocham, so that I can dwell not just in the Mikdash, but in the Machaneh. And therefore, Hashem is going to facilitate. Hashem is going to get involved. I saw a beautiful perush for the first time this year on Parshat Naso, the Shnei Luchot Abrit, who explains that's why not only the Isha Sota on an individual level, but if you remember coming out of Mitzrayim right after Yamsuf, which was uh, like a mini mikvah for Am Yisrael, or not a mini mikvah, a grand mikvah for Am Yisrael, purifying them. Hashem brought them to a place of Marah where there were bitter waters. And the Shnei Luchot Abrit explains that Hashem was basically putting all of Am Yisrael through the test of the Isha Sota, basically testing them to make sure that indeed they had maintained their righteous behavior within their relationships with their spouses in Mitzrayim. Hashem said, drink the bitter waters. And that's what they did, accompanied by Sham Sam Mushpat Visham Nisahu. And then Hashem said, now I'm going to give you laws. Now there are going to be consequences for your actions. Now you're going to bear responsibility. But with all this, Hashem's intervention is maintained through, for example, the laws of Sota through this miracle. But how does this explain our other questions? Well, we note that Chazal are going to perceive the Parsha of Sota in not only the particular matters of the laws, but to see it as one of the greatest phenomena that take place. And they question exactly our third question, namely, and why would Hashem allow for his name to be erased over here? And sure enough, we find both in Gemara Sukkah, Nun Gemal Amud Bet, and in Masechet Chulin, Da'kuf Mem Aleph, Amad Aleph, Mar said, great is the value of peace, of shalom between husband and wife. Hashem does this. Hashem provides this miracle. Hashem allows for his name to be erased in order to make sure not only that the Shekhinah can rest within Am Yisrael, but to make sure that there's going to be peace between husband and wife. 
And now we understand this a little more. What does this mean? Great is the value of peace between husband and wife. This explains why a miracle is required here. This is why the miracle is not going to be in a court system, but rather in the halachic context of the mikdash. And in order to understand this great need, we have to go back to the background of the test of Sota. A man and his wife encounter a tragic crisis that threatens the continuation of their marriage. They want to continue to live together peacefully, but this is impossible, both because of the husband's grave psychological suspicion that his wife has betrayed him, and because this very suspicion makes the woman forbidden to him halachically until the matter is clarified. How then is this marriage going to be saved? how our home is going to be kept together. In this very difficult situation in which the couple finds itself, after the woman has secluded herself with a man concerning whom her husband has previously warned her before witnesses not to seclude herself, the woman's declaration of her innocence is not sufficient. Neither her husband nor the court can accept this claim against the heavy suspicion that rests on the woman. And even a regular oath oath will not suffice. In order to make her permissible to her husband and to allow her to return to him, a factual test is required that no human legal system can provide for. This test is what will make the woman's oath as to her innocence altogether reliable. And now we understand why the Torah goes out of its way in offering the woman and her husband this miraculous test. Only this procedure can, in these circumstances, allow for faith to be entrusted once again, for the woman to return to her husband, for their shalom bayit to be restored. This parsha teaches us not only the basis of Yitzirat Kedushat HaMachane, not only what holiness within the encampment, within the community is all about, but teaches us that the basis for that kedusha is based on what transpires between husband and wife. Many of my students asked me this week, what do we do? What can we do in the face of all the uh, civil rivalry going on in the wake of the uh, horrific, literally, murder of George Floyd? And I told them, I said, there are so many different statements that you can say on social media. And thinking about it a little more, really, there's even more that we can do, more than our words. We can actually begin to act more with peace one with the other. And as 20th century Talmudist and Jewish philosopher Emmanuel Levinas said, the effacement of the name of God, referring to the story of the Sota, the case is the reconciliation of man. We look at the story of Parshat Sota and we recognize how much Hashem is willing to forgo with his own honor in order so that we can make peace one for the other, one to the other. If we can only promote this a little more in our communities and in our homes, let's start with our homes. Let's act with more respect one to the other even when we disagree one with the other. And therefore, we know that shalom bayit is not necessarily a matter of, again, complete domestic bliss. It's uh, the idea of peace in one's home. It's about creating peace in his or her immediate environment. It's about focusing on the home, which we certainly can do these days now that we're at home. The home is the primary place where one's obligation to affect peace unfolds. This is where, yes, we have a challenge, especially these days when we're kind of on top of one another, but at the same time, and we can recognize that, again, peace doesn't mean 
again, peace of sameness or the absence of conflict. It's the completeness of opposites. It's the translation of differences into more effective action, greater love, incorporating our wisdom that's gained from shared opinions, from a given and take, from open communication that we always speak about, but now we realize even more. And it's about engaging one with the other. It's about recognizing, yes, the blessings of a Hashem, the blessings that come. If the couple is worthy of the blessing, if we, if we're the ones who who are proactive, if we contribute, if uh, on one hand, again, we don't make demands one of the other, but rather accept personal responsibility, beckoning each one of us again to make demands on ourselves, improving our home atmosphere. And we know that in generally it's a good practice in areas relating to any aspect relating to living a responsible life to be demanding on ourselves. And and certainly this is a practice which makes for better marriages rather than waiting for the other one to change, for the other one to, uh, to make the first move. We should take the initiative and chances are then our spouses will follow. And I don't mean necessarily just the husband, just the wife. Obviously, this is an interactive aspect of Shalom Bayit. And uh, there's the proactive, but there's also the preventative side. And not provoking, not becoming provoked. And not introducing strife or contentiousness into the home, whether it's through our vocabularies or through our actions or through even sometimes our facial expressions. And rather, again, let's again make demands on ourselves to be a little more flexible, a little more forgiving, and if possible, to try to even anticipate and what triggers us at times. And now to remember that we shouldn't necessarily have expectations that every day is going to be a day of a tremendous marital bliss, but definitely one of shalom, definitely one of harmony, because this is such a vital ingredient of life that we see. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, even erase my name for it, which only helps us appreciate all the more the significance of shalom in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our countries. The last Mishnah Masechad Uksin with which we finish, Seder Taharot and Shishah Sidre Mishnah tells us, the utensil that holds all the blessings for Yisrael, there is no greater utensil, Ella. Hashalom, other than peace. Shene Amar, Hashem Oz Lamoyitain, Hashem Yivarech, Etamo, Vashalom, Shabbat Shalom.